And as I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking about the, the common experience a, a parent has, or a grandparent for that matter, when they, when they see the, the little ones begin to grow up. And once they begin to converse, they start with a few words, and then they, they form really simple uh, questions or answers or, or statements. But there's a favorite word that comes out of the mouth of babes uh, after they learn to talk. And, and I don't know if you remember what that was. It's, it's, it's kind of in a question. It's the word... Well, the word no, yes, that comes out as well. Um, uh, Virginia is still experiencing that. You ask her to do something, she just says no. Uh, but if it's a question, they ask the question, what? Why? You hear that over and over and over again. It could be as simple as, would you like a glass of water? Why? You know, would you like to go outside? Why? It doesn't matter what it is. They'll, after a while, just ask the question, why? And when they progress after a while, sometimes they'll ask the question, how, if they're struggling with doing something. But I was uh, reading just uh, recently, uh, actually this past week, there's a, there's a court in the east, I think it might be in New York, where they're, they're contemplating wrestling with the, the case of, of having two champies, um, two monkeys, basically, uh, w- whether they should be given human rights, whether they ought to be under all the, the legal uh, freedoms of those who... Uh, uh, homeo sapiens, all right? As you think about what, what distinguishes people uh, from people and animals, the Bible would say you're created in the image of God if you were created man or woman. Uh, but in many ways, you can see it in terms of, the, of how we communicate. It's one thing to converse as an animal, but asking the questions why or how or what or when or where uh, are, are really kind of reserved for those who who are not only conscious, but have a self-conscious awareness of what's around them. And as we think about the Word of God, the Word of God is a place in which we go to it, and if you're familiar with this book and familiar with the, the main character in the book, which is Jesus, sometimes people talk about Jesus, and they'll put it this way, who is Jesus? Jesus is the answer. In fact, uh, a number of decades ago, that was kind of a, a push in, in terms of getting that message out. But for some people, when they hear Jesus the answer, they, they respond in this way, well, what is, the, what is the question? And sometimes when they wrestle about this big book, they're saying, I, I know you say he has the answers to life, but maybe it's answering questions I don't really have. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a question that was not prompted by, by uh, you know, religious folks in, in a particular setting like this, but it was, it was prompted by someone hearing Jesus and was somewhat confused. And in some ways, that will happen when you, when you look at this book. There's some things that God says, and you're, you're trying to fit them together, and you're saying, I'm not, I'm not getting that puzzle, those pieces together. And, and so this morning, we're going to look at that. And, and as we kind of get set up for that, a little bit of review of what we looked at last week, we looked at a major theme in the Bible that we often miss. And sometimes that's easy to do. Uh, it's kind of, uh, particularly if you look at one gender, uh, male disease, uh, I don't know, I, I will raise my hand to that, is, you know, I'll ask for something, I can't find something, I'll ask my wife where it is, and she'll say, it's right in front of you, and I look, I can't see it, I can't see it, she comes and says, look, it's right there. And sometimes the things that are most evident or clear or should be understood and seen, we just miss it. And the kingdom of God is, is throughout the Gospel of Luke. Over 30 times he's talking about the kingdom of God, and yet we can read right past it. And the kingdom of God is really that which God wants us to experience and be part of. It really is the umbrella that covers just about everything that God has for people who come in relationship with him. 
You know, part of the subsets of that, as we think about what is included in the kingdom of God, it's heaven. As we think of what is in the kingdom of God, it has synonyms. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of, of heaven. But if you were put in its plain sense, and I, I put in your outlines this morning, and there's technical ways to say it, but the kingdom of God is this. It's, it's the realm in which the king rules and reigns in the lives of his followers. In, in its present form, we experience it partially, but in the future, if we're part of his family, then we'll experience it in its fullness. And that's why we pray, our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, what? Come. And it was somewhat confusing because Jesus said, well, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is in your midst. And, and he wasn't lying, but what he was saying is it's, it, it's, it's in a way you can experience it now because the kingdom is, the king is present. And, and where the king is, if you have right relationship with him, he, he rules and reigns in your life. But as we look at the circumstances in the realm of God's kingdom, that won't be experienced fully until he comes again. And so as people were hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom, and and we'll go back, Lord willing, just a few uh, verses before the passage we're going to look at today, is that Jesus promised his his little flock that that he would give them his kingdom. But, But they were wrestling with, because this is what they had all longed for for centuries, that that Messiah would come and the kingdom of God that Israel had longed for would, would happen. And yes, they looked around, they were saying, look at if that be true, then why aren't more people following you? And so we're going we're gonna to pick it up as we look at someone a- asking Jesus a question. So if you have your Bibles, and I really invite you to, to grab a Bible. If you don't have one with you, there should be one in a seat in front of you or the side of you, and just pull it out. And turn to Luke chapter 13. And we're going to begin at verse 22. And in it, we're going to see Jesus doing what he is always doing. He's, he's talking. So often we think about Jesus being, you know, a religious leader and praying all the time and, you know, and, and doing religious activities. But most of the time when he's out and about, he's teaching and preaching. He's communicating a message. And we know he's the master teacher, and yet you can be the master teacher, but that doesn't mean all the students are getting it. And the only way you really know a person is getting it is them responding. And so we, we see this in a second. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 22. And he, this is Jesus, was passing from one city and village to another. So he was, he was getting out and he was communicating a message over and over again because everyone needed to hear the, the foundational message, which is, look, the king is here. He's calling people to follow him. And if you follow him, he's going to rule and reign in your life. So he's going from one city and one village to another, teaching and preaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And then in a moment, he's going to respond to that question. So as we think about Jesus responding to the question, first of all, we want to ask the obvious, what was the question? And the question was this, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And again, I want to just alert you very simply. When, when we talk in religious talk about people coming in, into relation with God, and, and sometimes people are, are you saved? You know, have you, have, you, have you got salvation? Really what we're saying is, are, are you part of God's family? Are you part of God's kingdom? Have you, have you come into God's realm? Are you, are you in that relationship where he's ruling and reigning in your life? 
But they simply said, or this individual said, just, just how many are going to be saved? And it looks to me like there's just a few that's going to get it. Now, when people ask you questions, it's always nice if you answer the what? The question. One person is still with me, all right? If someone asks you a question, it's always nice if someone answers the question. But let's be honest. Often when Jesus got a question, he didn't exactly answer it in the way they thought he was going to answer it. Because this is, this is kind of a how many question. Well, how many are going to get saved? And just in case you think I wasn't listening, it sounds to me like only a few are going to get saved. Or at least as I observed, it doesn't seem like there are as many as I thought were going to get saved. You, you gather a crowd, and then all of a sudden the crowd leaves. Just how many people are really getting it? And in many ways, behind the question, there was a hidden agenda. Why should I believe in your kingdom if there aren't a lot of people following it, right? That's really what he was saying here. And so Jesus, in a few moments, we're going to see, really attacks this question. And in many ways, I want to alert you to where I'm going with what Jesus had to say. Is He's really going to speak into this individual's lives and everyone listening at that moment and to us as well. This is a critical question, and it comes from really where our heart is. In one sense, this question was saying, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm, I'm saying, I, 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 there's not enough reason to believe in you because there's not enough people following you. Now, we're never like that, right? We're, we're never like, well, where, where's the crowd going? You know, where, where are the most, most of our friends headed? The herd mentality. Well, that's what he was wrestling with. I, I, I can't necessarily believe because not everyone that I respect or think is important or the masses aren't going down that direction. And in one sense, let me just give you in a simple statement. What, what he is about to say to him is, you better not be worried about how many, but about, about you. you. You better make sure you're among whomever, how many are coming and following me, you better make sure you're part of that crowd. And we're going to see it very simply as we look at the answers from Jesus related to the question. Just, just how many are going to get saved? Is it just going to be a few? And why would I want to jump on that bandwagon? And so he says in verse 24, this is F, he says to them, or he gives them answers, Strive to enter through the narrow door For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So what he says here, I'm not, he's saying, look, the door's open for everyone, but I want you to understand that that door is rather narrow. And some who get interested will will say, well, maybe, maybe maybe I'll try this. But they're really not going to get in because they're, they're not really wanting, I mean really wanting to get in. Now, if you're familiar at all with the, with the Bible, you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're supposed to strive to get in? I, I thought it was just a gift. I thought all we had to do was pray a little prayer. I, I, I thought all you ought to do and say, hey, I, I want to get my ticket to heaven. Isn't that all it is? Isn't that what grace is, you know, an unmerited favor, and you just got to pick it up at the, the will call window? 
the word strive here is an interesting word in the original language because it actually has connection with an English word. It, it, it's agonizomai, which comes from our word agonize. You need to agonize to get through this narrow door. Have any of you ever tried to fit in something you couldn't quite fit in? I'm not talking about clothes. So we all have that in our closet. But, but maybe, the, I remember I was just recently... Um, uh, in, in a gym, and I don't normally go to a gym, but I thought, I'd, you know, if you go to a gym, you, you can at least say you tried to work out. And, and it was kind of, there were people, they were doing all kinds of exercise in various places, and there were the, there was these, um, uh, I can't even remember the name, that shows you how much I use it. Okay, it was the, uh, the treadmills, there were like four treadmills lined up, and I couldn't quite, <laughs> big word here, okay, treadmill here. And, and there was a little bit of a gap between the two, and I would have had to walk over somebody to get to any of the treadmills. So I said, oh, okay, I can fit through there. And I tried to fit in, and a few years ago, I could have fit in, but I couldn't quite get in, and they started laughing at me. You can't fit, okay? Is that, you know, no matter how much you want to try, the only way I would have been able to fit in is to somehow make the door, that entry place, larger. But those treadmills were a little heavier than, than I wanted to push, and there was, there was no way to get in. And what he was saying to his listener here is that you need to recognize that it is, it is really simple, but it's not going to be easy. I put it this way in your outline. What are the answers from Jesus? You cannot earn your way to heaven, but it's going to take agonizing effort. It is simple, but it's not easy. And let me just tack one of the verses that's in your outline this morning, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace, which is a gift, it's unmerited favor, you've been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, not something you can do. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast, which means you can't earn it. But, but what are you saying here? We look at the next verse, which comes right after this classic passage. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So anyone who comes into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ and thinks, that's oh, okay, I'm in now, I can do whatever I want, you missed it. Because when we make a commitment to Christ, you say, now all that I am is now yours. And we understand that the weight of that commitment, it's, it's an agonizing commitment. Some of you here, I mean, you've lived that out. When you made that commitment and made it public, you lost everything. You lost homes, you lost jobs. Some of you have made that commitment and you lost friends. Family began to look at you in a completely different way. For, for many of us in America, it, it's not some of those dramatic things, but it's now saying, look, at, I, I'm not in charge of my life anymore. I receive Christ, but as, as some have said, it's almost better to be understood this way. I have now given my life to Christ. He's the leader of my life. If you have your Bibles open, look at Luke chapter 12. And I only comment on this briefly when we got to it earlier. But in Luke chapter 12, verse 31, and it, it, the whole idea of being in God's family, eternal family, in verse 31 it says this, but seek his kingdom. Now, the Matthew account says, but seek his kingdom first. It should be the highest priority. Then these things will be added to everything that you need that is sufficient for life. And then he says this, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So we need to understand that, that God's 
invitation is open to anyone and everyone. He, he desires for people to come into his kingdom. And he wants to give it. It's so simple to respond to it. It is simple, but it's not easy. Because look what he says next, verse 33. Oh, sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourself money which do not wear out, and an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroys. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he said, I, I gladly give you this kingdom, that relationship with me, but you got to give up everything. You got to sell your possessions. Now, th- this could be rather troublesome to say, well, I haven't sold all my possessions yet. That means I'm not part of the kingdom. Well, he's using a metaphor here because it has to be because the next thing he says, well, get a money belt that doesn't wear out. Well, if I got all my possessions gone, what do I need a money belt for, right? There's nothing to put in it. But what he's saying here is, look, you need to understand that, that all that you are and all that you have is now mine. And you want to store up in eternity what's most important. He's not saying get rid of everything. But he's saying, make sure that everything you have is his. And then you hold on to that which will last forever, a a resource that can never wear out. And so the call to to know Jesus is is so simple. It's receiving his gift, but it's it's not going to be easy. It's going to be an agonizing commitment. Strive. Going back to Luke 13. Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able, because when they count the cost, not willing to give up. You know, in Luke, we memorize this. If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. What is the simplicity of the gospel? The simplicity of the gospel is is, is, as simple as the ABCs. It's Admit your desperate need and turn or repent from your sin. Which says, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live my life on my own, on my own way. I don't want to do the things that, that dishonor me and hurt others. I, I want to give all that up. Admit your need and turn from anything that dishonors God. Believe. Believe that Jesus is God and he's, he's the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead. And he paid the penalty for your sin. You've got to come to that point where you believe it and trust in it and rely on it. And then see, you need to commit. Commit to follow Jesus as your Lord and God and Savior, the leader and forgiver of your life. And you begin to realize this is, this is an all-encompassing commitment. We often talk about believing, you know, trusting and relying on. But what is repentance? And you can define it as simply as it's, it's turning from something and turning to something. It's turning from your sin and then turning to your Savior. But let me, uh, let me read to you from a classic definition of, of repentance from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Repentance and a life is an evangelical grace. It's very wordy, but listen to the sense of it. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith in Christ. 
by it a sinner, does that include all of us? By it a sinner out of the sight and sense not only of the danger, danger of the consequences of your sin, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins. The, off, the, the, the challenge that we have, we, we don't think sin is bad as it is. As contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his own sins as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. Although repentance is not to be rested in as any satisfaction for sin, in other words, repentance does not save you, or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. And as we are saved by God's grace based on nothing that we do. We cannot earn it. But it will demand every effort of us to pursue it. So how many will be saved? And are you among those who are saved? Am I part of God's eternal family? Jesus put it this way, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I will tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Why? Because they, they don't really admit their need and turn from that which dishonors God. They don't fully believe in who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross for our sins. They don't make it a wholehearted commitment to him. But Jesus moves on, just like most of you did in the outline already. All right. So then he goes on, and he, and he, he says something else in Luke chapter 13, verse 25. And he, and he says, once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, say, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. And Jesus, you know, you're thinking, what in the world are you talking about here? He's saying, you know, someone wants to get in, and they're, they're, they're a little late. Have you ever been late to something? Okay. Now, often you're late to something, and there's a little bit of grace because, uh, you know, there isn't, a, there isn't a hard, fast timeline. In other words, if you're coming to my house today and you get there at 401, we'll let you in, all right? Um, and, oh, by the way, all the trees, some of you have heard about the trees. All my trees now, if they fall, they'll fall on somebody else's house. So you're, you're, you're safe if you want to come today. All right. So... You know, there's some things like that, but have you ever, ever been late to a, 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 a plane trip? You know, you, you get there a little bit late, and, and you're shocked. Why didn't they wait for me? Or, you know, in the old times, you, you were trying to get a certain bus, and the bus has left, okay? Uh, whatever it might be, there, there are certain things, you're just, what happened? The plane is gone. The bus has left. And sometimes you knock on the door, the person's going to say, I'm looking, I'm not open. It's, it's, this, it's, it's over. The game is over, the meal's over, the party's over, and you're here too late. And again, this is just Jesus' response to a question. Well, just how, how, many, how many are you going to get saved? Are only a few going to get saved? He said, look, you better make sure you're going to be saved, that you're in the kingdom of God, that you're in that realm in which God rules and reigns in your life. And, and let me just tell you that this is not a decision to put off. First of all, realize this should be an agonizing decision because it's more important than any other decision you've ever made. You ever had somebody ask you, what's the most important decision you ever made? 
And uh, when you're next to your wife, your husband, say it's when I got married to Alice, you know. Uh, but we're not talking about, you know, human relationship. But what's the most important? It's when you made connection with Jesus. That's the most important decision. And if you haven't made it, you better agonize it because the Bible says this is what's most important. And then secondly, you realize you better not put it off because none of us know how long we're going to live. And I put it this way. You must not delay. You do not know how much time that you have. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Now, if you're familiar with religious talk, some of you might be aware of a concept of purgatory. Okay, well, number one, if you want to look at a a source material that says, okay, you can look up any, any word that's in the Bible, look up the word purgatory, and let me tell you, when you look it up, you're going to find it's not in here. There isn't, there isn't going to be a second chance after this life is over. You, you, are, you are settling your destination now. You're, you're not just going on a trip, and I've done that, where you just go in and say, well, I hope, hope there's something open when I get there. And all you see is no vacancy signs. This is settling your reservation now. And you better do it now because you don't know how much time you have. If you have your Bible, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul writes to a church and he says this to them. He's not just talking to a crowd. He's talking to people within the confines of the church of Corinth. And he says this, and working together with them, we also urge you, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, I think what he's saying here is that, look, you've heard about the grace of God, that God offers you a gift, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed on his name. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So you've heard about God wants to give you a gift. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's the gift of God. But you're hearing about this unmerited favor with God and you're taking it too lightly. You're thinking this a nod to God is enough. He said, no, it's it's a wholehearted commitment. And then some of you are trying to live out the Christian life based on your own merits, and that doesn't work either. And then he says this, verse 2, for he says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, when is this time? Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You ever put something off and then... uh, you were too late. I mean, I, I, uh, I religiously, which means regularly, consistently, you know, pay my credit card on time. But I usually like to keep my money as long as possible so I don't write that check to the very end. And sometimes I've been a little late. And whenever I'm late, I plead to see if they'll give me grace and mercy. Sometimes they do. But anyway, is that they always assign a what? A penalty, don't they? And what are you saying here? This is an eternal penalty if you wait too long. Because if you wait too long, you might not get in. And that's what he's saying. He, this, this, this person who, who knew of him was knocking on the door. 
said, I'm not opening it. And we all can get calloused to the truth, right? And we think, I've got, I've got more time, I've got more time. I was listening to a story that C.S. Lewis tells in Screwtape Letters. And if you're not familiar with that, it's basically a, a creative look at the demonic world and how they try to deceive us. And, and so they have these two demons talking to, to Satan, and uh, they're, they're devising their plan. And one person's plan is, well, I'll just try to convince people there is no heaven. <laughs> and Satan says to this demon, that's not going to work because everyone believes in heaven. They, they don't know a whole lot about it, but they're hoping that something is going to happen after this life because they know everybody dies and they don't want to think that after, this, after they die, there's nothing to look forward to. So they have a concept of heaven. You're not going to get that out of them. And so the other said, well, I know what I'll do. I will convince them there is no hell. He said, you might be able to convince a few people that, but the reality is people know that, that we do good things and bad things, and when you do bad things, there, there ought to be a, a penalty for that, and so there is a sense of dread that maybe they might go to the wrong place when they die. So you'll, you won't be able to convince everybody there is no hell or heaven. And so there was a third demon that came by and was talking to say, well, I know what I'll do. I'll just tell them they all have as much time as they want and they can keep delaying the decision. He said, that will work. Just help people procrastinate and not make the decisions now. And see, that is true for us as we enter into the relationship with God, but it's also true as we, as we continue to live for God. You know, whether you're still in school, in elementary school, or high school, or middle school, or college, or young adults or married or middle-aged or you're old like me, it doesn't matter. You know, you, every, every, every day counts. And so today is the day God wants you to live for him. You must not delay. You do not, you do not know how much time you have. Thirdly, he goes on and says this now in verse 26, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you, you taught, and you taught in, your, in our streets. In other words, we, had, we, had a, we, knew, we knew quite a bit about you. We listened to you. And, and he will say, I, I tell you, I, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me and all you evildoers. And you're thinking, that's, that's kind of harsh. They, they had some kind of connection with Jesus. And I would put it this way, you, you must not just know about Jesus. You must really know him, and it must show. To me, the, probably the most sobering passage in all the scriptures is found in Matthew chapter 7. It's kind of stated in the same way here, but more graphically in Matthew 7. Jesus says this to some people who come up to Jesus as they anticipate what will happen in the end. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is the same as the kingdom of God. It's a place where God, Jesus, rules and reigns in people's lives. And as we think about the, its ultimate expression, it's that which will be in the future. But not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and you can't have a better expression of who Jesus is. He's Lord. He's the leader. He's the one in charge. So it, it, it sounds to me they're getting the right answer to the, the question on the test. They know who Jesus is. He's Lord, Lord. But then he says, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Now, none of us do the will of God perfectly, 
But the direction of our life is, I want to do what God wants me to do. And whenever you're not in that mindset, that's danger territory. Not that you've lost what you have already have, but the question is, if that's not the direction of your life, do you have to wonder, do you really know him? It's the person who does the will of my fathers in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Didn't we not speak in your name? And in your name cast out demons. We did a lot of, you know, religious things and in your name performed many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I was at a Simon and Garfunkel imitation concert this week. And uh, you ever, uh, I remember when I was in the olden days when I was a youth pastor and we would talk about kind of music they ought to listen to or not listen to. And every time I talk about that, they say, well, I just listen to the, the music. I don't ever listen to the words. Now, it was hard for me to get on that because that really was my experience. I, 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 I listen to music, but I rarely listen to words, okay? But uh, the people who could actually sing the words, they said they never listened to them. I had a little bit of doubt that they never listened to the words. I could never sing the words that I could hear over and over and over again. But Simon Garfunkel, which is kind of a folksy, acoustic guitar, you know, type of uh, music, they had a favorite, you know, some, I'm dating myself to some of you who have no idea what I'm just going to talk to you about. But anyway, they had, a, they, had a, they had a lyric, they had a song called Mrs. Robinson, which was uh, promoted pretty graphically in the, the movie Graduate. I didn't see the movie, but l- listen to the, the words of this. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. God bless you, Mrs. Robinson. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. Hey, hey, hey. And then it goes, oh, no, I'm not going to sing it, okay? <laughs> I'll grab this guitar and play it. All right, all right. <laughs> you know, and then it goes on, you know, there's some other stupid lyrics in it. Not, no, they're really creative lyrics. But then he goes, uh, she, he goes, hiding in a hiding place where no one ever goes. Put it in your pantry with your cupcakes. It's a little secret, just the Robinson's affair. Most of all, you've got to hide it from the kids. Basically, Mrs. Robinson had an immoral lifestyle, which is, which is kind of like commonplace now. Actually, during that film, they were trying to, to demean the older generation compared to the younger generation and saying how hypocritical they were. Now it's not hypocrisy. Now it's just normal behavior. But what, what, what's so, so heartbreaking is to tie Jesus with that kind of a lifestyle. Now, God is able to forgive and does forgive anyone involved in any kind of sin. The grace and mercy of God is sufficient for all kinds of sin. But only sin that's repented of. See, this is not going to be the reality for a person like Mrs. Robinson. And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Now, that's a true statement. Jesus loves all of us more than we will ever know. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson. God wants to bless us. But heaven does not hold a place for those who simply pray, pray, pray. Because we can all mouth words to God. But it's only the expression of what's really in our heart in which Jesus will accept. The Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, I think it's in your Bible study this week, if I regard or hold on to iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. 
We often think, well, God hears every prayer. He does not hear the prayer in which sin separates us from him. He desires to to pull us in to know him. But we need to understand there's a cost. We're giving all of ourselves to him. And we we never do it perfectly, but saying, God, I'm, I'm signing the deed of my life over to you. And I don't want to fall into the superficial reality that some people are living in that that is not a reality, that I I know Jesus just because I I can say a few religious words. But I heard you talk. I heard you preach. I I broke bread with you. I, I was involved. But did you really know me and follow me? And then finally... You'll be surprised by who will be there and who will not. And now I'm going to say what often what Jesus did. He would put us in this, this tension. The door is narrower and broader than you think. How can, a, how can a door be narrow and broad at the same time? Well, but listen on as Jesus says these words. He talks about the consequences in verse 28. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself will be thrown out. And then he says this in verse 29. And they will come from the east and the west and from the north and from the south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. He finally gets around to answering the question, well, just, just how few will be saved? First of all, he, he, he just points his finger at him. Well, you better make sure that you're saved, that you're in the kingdom of God. And it's gonna be, it is going to be the decision of your life, the commitment of your life. You're going to have to agonize about this if you realize it's, it's giving God all of who you are. And second, you realize you better do it quickly because you don't know how much time you have. Don't delay. Third, you need to realize that, that some people don't get it because they don't realize it's, it's giving God all that you are. But fourthly, I want you to understand, there are going to be people from the east and the west and the north and the south. It's going to be from everywhere. And those who look like they're in the last in line, they're going to be bumped up on the first in line. Those in the first in line will be bumped to the last in line. What in the world is he saying here? He's saying some of the people we think are, are, are going to get there because they're so religious, they're not going to be there because they don't have relationship. And particularly, he was speaking to the, the national Israel there. Like you, you put all your faith and confidence because you are God's chosen people. Well, you have been chosen to be a light into the world, but it only works for you if it's, that light is in your own life. And, and the people that you think are so far from you, they're going to actually hear the message and they're going to respond to the message. And it's going to come from every corner in the world. And so they who thought only Jewish people were going to be blessed, he said, you're not getting it. It's going to be for everybody. And that's how that that door is broader. The invitation is open to anyone who will come. Anyone who will come. Everyone who will come completely and fully. But it's narrower to those who think they can play games with God. who, Who just somehow think it's a superficial commitment. There is, there is a P.S. in the section <laughs> that we're not going to look at, at much detail. But it really kind of focuses on who we really are following. And I, and I put it this way in the P.S. in your message. 
It's two things about Jesus. First of all, Jesus, Jesus who, who, was, who was rattling people's cages, and not only the, the, the masses, but also those in power, we need to realize that Jesus was not afraid of anyone. We're, we're not following someone who was, who was uh, so meek and mild, he cowered in the, in the presence of people in authority and power. Look, look, what, look what happens right here. Just at that time, some Pharisees approached saying, go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. So they're hearing this strong message that was going to apply to their life. They said, I don't want to hear it more. Maybe I can scare Jesus from saying these kind of things. You better get away because your life, you could lose your life right now. So Jesus responds to that, verse 32. And he, Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox, which is Herod, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and on the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Which is basically saying this in creative language. Look, at Herod's not going to take my life. I'm going to give it away. And it's not going to happen until it happens at my time, on my schedule. And it's not going to happen until I get to Jerusalem. No one killed Jesus. Jesus gave up his life. And he, and he calls one of the most powerful people in all of Palestine, Hey, you're just a fox, you know? And what was a fox? A fo- fox was a person who was kind of, or the animal was kind of sly and devious. It was destructive. But what he is saying, you're, you're really of, of no, no merit and really worth. <laughs> you can tell that fox, he has no power over me. I'm not afraid of him. And, and so then again, in the context of Jesus giving a hard message, then you see the other part, part of of Jesus' heart, his compassion. Look at this. Jesus is not afraid of anyone. He's compassionate f- about everyone. Look at verse 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who, sent to, who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. Now, there's a lot of background we could say about this particular part of that passage, but it's really saying to, to people that you would say on a natural level, Jesus ought to hate because of their past history to what was happening present and even what was going to happen in the future. So look at every, everything that's been good and godly and holy, the vast majority of you have just destroyed it. And you would think that all you have here is the wrath of God that wants to be poured out on you. And even when you hear the, the strong message that Jesus said to that very simple question, just, are only a few going to get saved? And he said, that's not the most important question. The question is, are you going to be saved? And you better, you better strive, agonize, because this is the most important decision. You better not delay it, number two. And three, you realize it's going to demand all that you are. And some people who think they're in, they're not. And then fourthly, realize, however, this is for everyone. And I want you to know, I say this out of love. Remember when parents, we talked about parents in the beginning, whenever you get a punishment, they say, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt what? You know, how many believe that when your parents said that, right? <laughs> you know, and, and when we think about God, sometimes we think, God's up there and he's delighting to punish me. He, he hates it. It breaks his heart. He's compassionate for everyone, even those who were most egregious in terms of turning their face from God, and they knew more than anybody else. He said, look, I would do everything to gather you to myself, but you're unwilling. 
Behold, your house has left you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until that time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in the future, the remnant of Israel will come and they will respond to the message they rejected in the past. But what we have here is Jesus being very plain. And really the so what is, for all this, do we really know Jesus? None of us live up to what we would want God to do in our lives because we pull back, but do we really know him? And if we took an objective look at our life, does it show? Does it show in our life that, that God has put his mark on our life? Not to impress anybody else, but, but we can see that God has made changes. If he hasn't made any changes, then do we really know him? Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, new creature. The old things passed, new things have come. So as we leave, we really want to wrestle. Do we really know him? And how's it showing? And do we want it to show even more? Let's pray together. Father, this this was a sobering message that Jesus gave, but it was also a message of great hope because his compassionate heart filtered through all the strong words he had to say. Father, we want to be a people that really know you and really show it. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you in a personal way, we invite them to, to admit their need, turn and repent from their sins, believe that Jesus truly is God and he died on the cross for their sins and rose again, and then commit fully and completely to Jesus being the leader and forgiver of their life. And we praise in Jesus' name, amen.